Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we'll be talking about some of the league's top passing games and which receivers are worth targeting. I mean, stacking is a major part of any form of fantasy football. And sometimes, you know, as we go through these pecking orders, we notice a disparity in average draft position doesn't reflect what is actually happening out there on the field. So I have a very special guest today to break this topic down with me. The man is the founder of Roto Street Journal, as well as the Fantasy Fullback Dive Podcast. You may know him as the Wolf of Roto Street, Nick Trakoff. Nick, what's going going on man not too much hard it's i'm thrilled to be on i really appreciate you having me it's great to always talk ball with you so i'm, I'm glad to have this time right in august man fired up for it i have gone on nick's podcast several times uh, over okay. the years always a good discussion make sure you guys check out the fantasy fullback dive if you haven't he has guests all over the industry and you know he, he gave me a chance back in the day and now you know it's good to be hosting and get his uh you know fun thoughts here so uh it'd be great you know nick we could sit here for two hours and break down every single passing game okay. but today we're just going to focus on the ones associated with the top 10 qbs and average draft positions so uh you know again main topic is on the receivers who we want to be targeting in these passing games after inevitably uh, you're going to land on some of these QBs in your league. So first and foremost, the Baltimore Ravens. We know there's some sort of passing touchdown regression coming for Lamar Jackson, not because he's a bad quarterback, just because it's way too hard to be that freaking good through the air for multiple seasons. We've just seen it again and again. It doesn't really matter, though, potentially in fantasy land because it's a very condensed passing game of Mark Andrews and Marquise Hollywood Brown. Nick, how high are you on – Andrews and Brown and do you think there could be a third member that emerges as a fancy relevant asset? I think it's all great questions. I definitely am super high on Andrews. It's pretty hard not to be after the season he just had. I mean, absolutely insane production. And now Hayden Hurst leaves, which is tons of good studies out there about how many more routes per game. It seems kind of obsolete. Oh, Hayden Hurst, he didn't do much when you look at the stat sheet. But the, the amount of routes that he could end up picking up here, Mark Andrews, could just be the difference between him being a, yet again like a nice top three guy and him really threatening to get into that Kelsey style tier. I, you know, I, I like the, the cheaper discount you can get on him as well. So, you know, if I miss out on Kelsey and obviously Kittle, he becomes the clear cut number three, even above Zach Ertz now, in, in my opinion. I typically end up punting tight end anyways, but still, uh, you got to love the, the upside that he brings. But Marquise Brown is the one I, I find myself landing even more frequently, specifically because of the price. The guy showed some just ridiculous separation skills all last year, one of the best big play threats. And he was playing at like 157 pounds with a screw in his foot. So clearly less than 100%. Now you, you might get the full speed. He's up 23 pounds in muscle, reportedly hasn't lost any of that explosiveness that made him so special. Everybody raving, Greg Roman, all of us man-to-man -man saying, if this guy has a great offseason, it's going to be something special. And we all look at each other and say, wow, what a physical great offseason he had. It's all just beautiful, especially because Lamar Jackson says he wants to have more vertical passing as well. He was very successful on those throws last year. So it all to me seems to line up to a monster season coming for Marquise Brown when you can get him in like round six or so, potentially as your wide receiver three. There's definite wide receiver one upset. I'd highly recommend a great article too that Curtis Patrick at RotoViz wrote, highlighting all the trends that he just checks off all these boxes. That's almost like a 90% chance the guy hits based on all the boxes he checked in his rookie year so check that one out I love him in terms of a third as you highlighted it is a low volume passing attack I don't think I'm necessarily diving after any of these other guys but Marquise Brown at that price point is is certainly the Raven I'm going to end up with the most 
I agree with you. I don't think there's a number three out there, you know, between Snead, Duvernay, Miles Boykin. We might see the occasional game or two, but just probably not going to be enough volume. So here's my only concern with Hollywood. I agree with everything you said about him just being this, you know, awesome speed demon. I mean, he had six weeks inside of fantasy's top 32 wide receivers last year, six weeks outside the top 64. I mean, that's already fine. Like, that's a boom-bust guy that we should kind of expect. And I like having those guys on my team. I like having the chance to have wide receiver one production. Why do we need wide receiver? three or four production every week you know give me the booms because they're, they're going to come with some busts sure but we yeah. want the booms in any format now the issue for me is he's starting to creep into this legit wide receiver one range and i think we both agree mark andrews i mean only kittle averaged more yards for our run this guy last year mark andrews is the number one in baltimore and now i mean just looking at this adp man i'm seeing you're going to have to kind of decide between marquise and guys like terry mclaurin Devonte parker ty hilton aj green now taking him ahead of you know those veterans at the end of the list to have the injury concerns are fine but just how early are you willing to take hollywood brown i think those are all great names to bring up i would certainly rather have mclaurin i know you've been on my show and we raved about this guy at nausea i, I would always take mclaurin over uh marquise brown i would probably take brown over those last two veterans you said but the other names the younger guys i do see a, a better alpha potential to them whereas you're right he is going to be behind, behind you know mark andrews he's not going to be that clear-cut number one but roman did have a few seasons even in these low volume they've always consistently been towards the bottom four and passing yardage and passing attempts and still he'd have like vernon davis and crabtree and quam there was always like a tight end and a wide receiver who did some good things it is pretty much concentrated to those two positions which is why i'm still willing to definitely take that shot if he does creep into the terry mclaurin range if it's them you know one of those two i gotta go mclaurin but i do still sometimes see him creeping around six where you could go kind of mclaurin towards the end of five and then you get you know marquise to to round out that early six that to me is a beautiful beautiful setup at your wide receiver two and three positions potentially Agreed, man. All the upside in the world there. Another second-year guy that we're going to talk about now that has all sorts of speedy upside, Miko Hartman, and now moving on to this Chiefs oh, yeah. offense. So we know Patrick Mahomes, best QB alive. I'll argue with anyone that says contrary. And he's going to put up numbers. We know Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are going to be the main guys getting those numbers. But I mean, we saw it again and again last season. Like, it, it wasn't consistent, but, you know, we had the Marcus Robinson two-touchdown game against Oakland. Sammy Watkins week one, then the playoffs. And then we have Miko Hartman just seemingly, you know, making all sorts of goodness happen just with two or three touches per game. Going into 2020, I mean, based on the usage from last season, we shouldn't be expecting Miko to have that big of a year. But, Nick, do you think rational coaching and talent wins out here and we see Miko get enough usage to, you know, be a legit fantasy factor week in and week out? I, it'd be tough to say week in and week out with those names ahead of him. Ty Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, now Hilaire, also coming in as a great receiving threat. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if he can really take over that Sammy Watkins style role, especially with Watkins already kind of dinged up, already missing time in camp. Shocker there. But the, the rate was so good. And, and rational coaching is a great, you know, can we ever assume it? And usually, unfortunately, we can't. If we're going to talk about the Seahawks pass catchers later, it usually isn't as obvious as it should be. But Andy Reid is a legit, like, gee, this guy is a great coach. And I think, you know, it, with those touches, I, I know you, you know, I always cite your tweet out there, the playmaker rate. Nobody had a high, higher playmaker rate than Nicole Hardman. And you got to think Andy Reid's seeing this now year two, another year in the system, another year to build down that chemistry. This guy is just unfair. He's going to be drawing like the third, fourth 
best coverage on the teams with Mahomes. I, I to me, this is just an offense. Obviously, as everybody sees, that's never going to come off the field. And I think this guy could definitely score a ton of touchdowns. And, and again, you're getting him, you know, rounds 11, 12. For that price, the, the playmaking upside, especially if something did happen to Tyree Kill, when you bake in that type of upside, that type of ceiling, it, he might ascend into that exact role, I'd say over Sammy Watkins. Then you're talking about some just ridiculous league changing upside. So I love taking a shot on him late just because he should take that next step regardless. And then you got that kind of handcuff upside to Tyree Kill too. Yeah, that uh, playmaker rate you mentioned, just I, I wanted to try to figure out who in the league, you know, just consistently has the most big plays. So found a way, you know, just to get 15 plus yard rushes, 20 plus yard receptions and touchdowns per touch. And Miko, every single person that had at least 30 touches last season was number one. You see the speed out there and you know that it really is true for him. This statement, this adage that we overuse in the fantasy community that he is, you know, for any boomer bus wide receiver, better in best ball. Like it does ring true with Hardman, but I mean, don't just limit it to best ball because I thought your point about if any of these guys go down, he's in there. Like it's a great point, man, because there's so many wide receivers around the league that don't, that couldn't seamlessly play all their, uh, you know, receiving positions on offense. They're the backup X or the backup slot, backup Z, whatever it might be. The Chiefs, they rotate. They don't have a defined slot receiver because Sammy, D-Rob, Tyreek, they all move around the formation throughout every single game. So literally, if any one of them misses time, we're getting Miko Hardman as a t- every down receiver inside of arguably the best offense in the league, man. All the potential in the world, I am with you on Miko. I love the stat, too, that you posted as well, uh, and PFF posted the most TD catches of 40-plus yards from last year. I mean, there was only a handful of guys that had four, A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill, Kenny Galladay, Stephon Diggs, and Nicole Hardman. He did uh, only 26 receptions on less than half the targets of any of those guys. So, I mean, the, the, we've seen it. We've seen that ability, and I love betting on that late when you've seen the huge playability. Now you just need the, the volume to match it, and it certainly could this year. So I love it all the way. We throw around regression a lot, and that's fine. He's not going to average over 13 euros per target again. But, you know, when guys are putting up these gaudy numbers, you know, one of the things we see the next year is they get more opportunities because they've proven to be an awesome football player. So we don't need him to average 13 plus yards per target. If his targets double and he sticks around double digits, even less, we're going to be happy. So yes, all the me, Cole Hartman, especially, I mean, it's a more than reasonable uh, chance to get him. I think in fantasy drafts, you can get him as your Mm -hmm. wide receiver four, even wide receiver five, if uh, you know, you're going early. So definitely the type of guy worth investing in. All right. Moving on to the Cowboys, another just crowded offense. I mean, we got Cooper, Gallup, now C.D. Lamb, Blake Jarwin, Ezekiel Elliott. They all figure to vie for targets. Dak Prescott's going to be orchestrating what figures to be anyone's idea of a top 10 scoring offense. I have Dak as my QB three. That means these guys will be putting up numbers. Who have you been targeting from the Cowboys? I mean, any and all of them. I, I love all the Cowboys. It's, again, crowded, but it's going to be an all-you-can-eat buffet. How is this, how's this team going to ever stop? Yes, the, the pie, there's so many mouths to feed, but it is going to be beyond enormous. It already was last year, and this was in Kellen Moore's first time ever calling plays at the NFL level. And, and we saw that kind of relationship with Dak was just on such a great level. You bring in Mike McCarthy, who 
he's got his faults. We've all seen him misuse Aaron Jones, but passing games are not one of his faults. He's consistently schemed it up. Yes, you had Aaron Rodgers, but still the guy knows how to use his 11 personnel, his three receiver set. So I think we're going to see all those guys in the field a ton. And he typically does still feature an alpha, uh, you know, dating back to Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, even Joe Horn way back before he was even with the Packers, with the Saints, was seeing 151, 156, 149, 153 targets. Anytime he played 16 games, he saw 149 or more. So, I mean, this guy does love to pepper his alphas. We saw Adams at the other end of it, 2018, the last time he was there, see 169. To me, that's still got to be Amari Cooper as long as we have health. The guy runs such a great route tree. Everything is pristine with him. He's averaged over 16 fantasy points points per game since being with Dak Prescott after being un- almost at under 12 with Derek Carr. So we've seen that that chemistry already immediate as soon as he was traded there. It's just a matter of health. Can this guy stay together for 16 games? But I think he's pretty underrated because of how crowded this, this pie seems. Typically, they're going to have that alpha based on McCarthy's history. I think it's Cooper. So he's definitely a guy. If I, if the, you know, the, the bell cows I don't love are sitting there. I don't really love that Todd Gurley for net tier. So, you know, after that, kind of drop off at Jacobs or so I'm ready to dive into the Amari Cooper train maybe even before Kenny Galladay or so I don't love Gallup he's the one to me that kind of is still getting drafted up there pretty high I know he just is fresh off a thousand yards but I think him and CeeDee Lamb are about to eat each other a little bit more than people are recognizing but again it's such a huge aerial pie that if he falls I'm still going to take him just because I don't think this offense ever leaves the field without points Uh, but Cooper is the one I kind of value at cost. And then C.D. Lamb is an upside stab right in that that Hardman range. He's such a dominant threat after the catch that he could be a monster in that Randall Cobb style role. If he gets the targets that that guy just departed, it's going to be a beautiful thing at that price. So I find myself going Cooper Lamb the most, I'd say. I I think everyone can pretty much agree we're going to get, you know, top 20 production from Mari Cooper. Just everything we've seen since he's joined the Cowboys would indicate that, you know, just gave the guy $100 million. He's not going anywhere from atop that pecking order. Now, can they enable more than one high-end fantasy relevant receiver? And I think so, man. Since 2010, we've seen an average of 4.3 teammates per season uh, function as top 24 PPR wide receivers. In 75% of those cases, they've also come along with a top 12 QB, like Dak has been every single season of his mm-hmm. career. So, you know, of all the offenses in the league where we should expect two top 24 wide receivers like the Cowboys are right there. And, you know, maybe CD and uh, um, Gallup eat, eat each other's targets a little uh, too much like you're talking about, but even them, man, it seems like wide receiver three for these guys is the absolute floor. And that's a pretty nice floor when we're talking about the point in drafts, we can get yeah. Gallup and particularly lamb. I mean, after the Cowboys week eight by last season, we had Gallup as a PPR wide receiver eight, Cooper wide receiver 21, just, you know, having one tough shadow matchup after another, but Randall yeah. Cobb is also in there at wide receiver 27, man. So, you know, we, yeah. it's a crowded passing game, but there's also so much opportunity. Only the Falcons have more available targets from last season because both Cobb and old man, Jason Witten were leaving with 83 targets each. So man, I'm with you on the wide receivers and Blake Jarwin to me, you know, after these, because yeah. all these fantasy drafts, okay. If you don't get Kittle, Kelsey or Andrews, I'm waiting, 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 because after those first 10 or 12 guys go, you can get Jarwin and my guy Chris Herndon, shameless plug, but mostly Blake Jarwin for very cheap. Absolutely. I, I see the total upside there, especially touchdown upside with Jarwin, because you mentioned those, the, you know, the older vets leaving, departing a huge target share. 
And now you're filling that void with more explosive talents, theoretically at least, in Jarwin and in CeeDee Lamb. So to me, that's just going to generate more and more scoring opportunities for an offense that already ranked first in total yardage and sixth in scoring last year. I can see them definitely finishing first again in total yards or right towards the top and then bumping those touchdowns up even further. And Jarwin's has to be a big part of that. He's had a three touchdown, 150 yard game on his resume. So we've seen that ridiculous ceiling before. I, I love it. I think all, all the weapons make sense and none of them are priced that you, you can't really plug a couple of them into your lineup, chase that offense all day. I, I'm with you fully. Yeah, if you talk to a just if someone had only watched Cowboys Giants fans over the last like two or three seasons, <laughs> they would probably think Jarwin was the best tight end in the yeah. game. Hilarious how he always smashes them. But all right, another team, young rising quarterback, and suddenly we're getting some weapons all over the place. So Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, you know, Kyler's rates and kind of rating and QB rating in different situations weren't great last season, but we just saw kind of that tantalizing upside, his ability to throw the ball down the field. And he just didn't really have that true number one. And now he does DeAndre Hopkins. You know, I, I've mentioned a stat before on this uh, podcast, but we just haven't seen all that many wide receivers traded in the offseason and then come back around and immediately be a wide receiver one. Only Brandon Marshall has done that since 2010. Now, on the other hand of things, we haven't seen many wide receivers with Hopkins talent traded, uh, you know, in the middle of the offseason. So we got Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and Christian Kirk. Kyler came out in the media and said he wants to give them all over 1,000 receiving yards. I think we could both agree that's probably too high of a ceiling. But I do agree with the idea that someone behind Hopkins should probably still be able to put up fantasy relevant numbers. Uh, I guess so. Question one, how are you approaching Hopkins? Is he still a top five fantasy receiver to you? And question two, who else in this offense, you know, in the passing game are you looking to attack? Yeah, I, I think I still have to have Hopkins in my top five. He's right there at five. Uh, but I, I get the, the, the stat you cited. It makes total sense, the chemistry, building all that. I just think Hopkins is a different level beast. He might be my favorite receiver in the league. We've seen him get it done with like TJ Yates and Brandon Whedon and Mallett, and he's still going over 1,500 yards. So you're going to Kyler Murray. I mean, he's adjusted to crap QBs, and now he has to adjust to a, a potential great one if he takes the step so many, including myself, are projecting for him. And you talk about year two in the air raid, so many people talking about uh, in Kingsbury especially how important that second year of comfort level for Kyler but also Kingsbury as a play caller are to really have this thing get into the full gear we never really saw it take off that air raid in year one even though they jumped from like dead last in points per game to you know 20th it was a pretty good leap over a touchdown more per game. I think we could see that take that next leap step forward and, and enter that top 10 conversation in year two, just based on comfort level for Kyler and Kingsbury alone, never mind Hopkins being there. So, you know, all those ships rise together. Hopkins, I still like in my top five right there at five. I typically go workhorse in round two anyways. I love going RBRB. So I haven't landed Hopkins in too many, but I still see the upside. I, I totally love it. Behind him, I mean, Kirk, now that he's going to be drawing weaker coverage, he never was fully healthy last year. I think the guy can still ball. You move him into the slot. I think he's the one, you know, if there was going to be 2,000-yard receivers, it's pretty clear to me Kirk would be the best option. I don't know that I fully buy it. I think kind of I'm still going more Hopkins is an alpha and kind of dominates it and still hits that 1,300-yard range. And I think Kirk and Fitz – Maybe Kirk gets to a thousand. I don't like Fitz too much at all. I don't think that's too bold to say either. But I'm not like dying to get Kirk. I guess. Are you chasing the Kirk train? What do you think about him? 
think I'm on the same page here as you. I, I wasn't down on Kirk, but I did an article a couple of weeks ago. I was looking at, you know, where are my rankings versus guys in the ADP? And Kirk was like jumping out as someone that I'm lower on because I have him in the mm-hmm. wide receiver 50 range and he's still kind of being taken almost as that wide receiver 40 range. So I'm taking guys like, you know, Anthony Miller, uh, Miko Hardman, just, just some guys I've yeah. seen do it at a higher level a little bit more because I really like Kirk going the last year, but that was more of a volume play. And now with Fitz back and now Hopkins there, I just think even triple digit targets could be tough to come by. I mean, not to mention if Drake or who knows, Dan Arnold, yeah. some deep sleeper like that gets going on as well. You know, maybe Andy, Andy Isabella makes some noise. Ultimately it's a really crowded offense. And I think one thing we have seen, you know, in Cleveland a little bit and some of these air raid style uh, NFL offenses is, you know, Pat, even Patrick Mahomes with the chiefs, like they don't force feed, a single wide receiver, or even like two wide receivers, they spread the ball out a lot more. Great idea for real life football. Like this is obviously working well, but for fantasy, we're just not getting the condensed passing games we're looking for. DeAndre Hopkins is also my number five receiver, but yeah, man, I'm taking the first, honestly, 13, 14 running backs before yeah. him in drafts. So I'm just not really getting Nuke Hopkins. I mean, I think it's clear. You got your top four, but then from Hopkins, you know, your Galladay's, your Goblins, your Mike Evans, your Coopers. We just have questions about these guys that we don't have the same questions for in, in among our top four wide receivers. So, yeah, man, I, I'm pretty much with you on Arizona. We might just be uh, still a little ahead of the curve here on this Cardinals offense. I like Kyler. I like the future of his team, but man, like at these current rates, we're going to need them to be near their ceiling pretty much in 2020 to pay off at these ADPs. I totally agree. I know you compared him earlier this offseason to the Browns, and I, I see that. Are we getting just a little too early on these guys? Are we buying the hype? Is the line going to be there to sustain it all? So there are some fair questions for sure. I, I do. I can't wait to see this Kyler to, to Hopkins connection, and I do still like taking Kyler a lot, but if we're talking about stacks, it's not the clearest stack situation by any means. Yeah, that's, that's the important thing here because I, I think their team looks a lot like the 2019 Browns potentially. Kyler, I don't think he's going to suffer that Baker drop purely because yeah. he's got that insane rushing floor. So <laughs> fantasy purposes, not so much. But, yeah, I, I definitely think the Cardinals were looking at more of a, you know, 7-9, 8-8 than some, someone that's going to compete for the number one uh, spot in, you know, that ever-tough NFC West division. All right. Another just baller, dual threat, young QB, Deshaun Watson. Now, I am just yeah. fully convinced that with or without DeAndre Hopkins, who, amazing wide receiver, we just, you know, said that. But Watson's a top five QB, I think, no matter who you put around him. And while life without Hopkins is objectively worse for any QB to deal with, suddenly we got a lot of talent around the guy. I mean, with David and Duke Johnson, you got mm-hmm. two baller receivers in the backfield. And then just having, you know, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills. I mean, there were games over the past few seasons where, you know, Hopkins was playing hurt, Fuller was out, and it was like we were just feeding targets to Kiki Cootie and DeAndre Carter just because there was no one else there. Now, finally, we got four deep wide receivers, some running backs. Man, and no one's being priced all that high. Who have you been targeting from this Texans offense? I'm going all, it's a great offense to target. Like you said, the price is there for all of them. The narrative I'm buying the most is Brandon Cooks. I, I mean, the guy has routinely topped a thousand yards despite turning over team after team four straight seasons before last year, even on all these different teams uh, amidst all that between the Rams, the Pats, and then obviously the Saints. And, and now he goes to be the potential clear-cut number one in a very crowded core with the Rams now is the potential number one for Deshaun Watson, who slings 
probably, if not the best deep ball, one of the best, according to Pro Football Focus, fifth in deep yardage, second in deep TDs with 11, first in, in their Pro Football Focus's adjusted deep completion percentage. So, I mean, you get a premier deep threat in Brandon Cooks, who's got it done time after time, regardless of where he's gone, uh, with a guy like Watson who can really sling that rock. I love him moving from Jared Goff in a crowded, congested situation to this one. And I, I, I get the concussion history, but he, he's only missed like, what, two, three games actually, you know, realistically throughout his career. Yes, if he gets another concussion, it could be devastating. But, uh, you know, to me, I have a lot more faith in his health than I do Will Fuller. And if Will Fuller goes down, it's even just that much clearer of a target situation. Uh, but I just love what this offense could look like. Just speed, speed, speed all over the place with a QB that can sling it. Let's really hope B.O.B. wakes up and it just lets him play that ball. Yeah, you know, it's been fun on Twitter joking with the four birds meme. Just that's what the Texans could be running yeah. all year. But it's true, man. And we've seen right. this speed just have an impact on every other quarterback they've been with. I mean, Brandon Cooks, if you just look at Tom Brady, Jared Goff, Andrew Brees, with or without Brandon Cooks, they've all averaged more yards per attempt with them. I mean, Watson's, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have Watson splits with or without Hawkins, but with and without Will Fuller, they're extreme. He's much better when he has field stretchers on the field. And, you know, it's just not going to be a situation where the Texans are going to be this bad offense. There's going to be production and, you know, all these guys being priced as wide receiver threes or lower, like you're just getting them at their floor if they have some semblance of health. And, okay, for all the pessimists out there, I say Cooks going to get concussed, Fuller's going to get hurt. That means Randall Cobb is going to eat people. I mean, he is the discount version of Jamison Crowder. I know it's not sexy, but it's free. He just got $20 million guaranteed. Like the front office is telling us he's going to get these targets. For years, we were almost talking ourselves into Kiki Cootie just because he would have these games with double-digit targets randomly. And Cobb is still just going free. I understand he had – Bad case of the drops last season, but, you know, we kind of overrate drops in fantasy football to begin with, I think. The money indicates the targets are going to be there. And the Cobb's credit, I mean, we, he's not washed or anything. The dude averaged almost 10 yards per target last season. So, man, it does not get cheaper. And in my mind, you know, you got the high floor than Randall Cobb in Houston. I mean, yeah, definite punt play. I love it. Like, what, what else are you looking at that late? If Brian Edwards is there, I know we're talking about the, the Texans, but he's like the potential alpha that could emerge like as a, a McLaurin-style breakout. So if he's there, I'm not going to take Cobb, but I, I totally see the narrative, and especially in those 20-round best balls that if people get hurt in front of them, there's definitely some upside there late to Cobb as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, we've hyped up Miko Harbin before. I, in general, take the upside, guys, but you're taking Cobb as, like, your wide receiver seven or eight. This is not a situation where yeah. you're just going to look back on your draft and say, wow, you know, if I hadn't picked Cobb in round 15, then, you know, I really could have turned things around. Just take those targets. So if, you know, week three comes around and we look and Cobb's, like, seventh in the league in targets, which is very possible – you know, you'll, you'll be one happy owner. So, all right, man, we got five more teams. We're going to shorten these up a little bit. You know, one of the things you guys do at the, uh, you know, Roto Street Journal that I like is you just kind of treat players and teams like the stock market. So we do a quick mm -hmm. round, buy and sell. So the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, man, we, he's been petitioning all offseason to cook more. You know, he's like, let's yeah. treat every, every quarter like the fourth quarter because whenever they give the ball to Russ, good things happen. Now we have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf headline this uh, receiving crew for now. Are you buying the idea that Metcalf will emerge as the most productive Seahawks receiver in 2020? 
I'm not, and that's not saying I don't love Metcalf. I like both of these guys. I'll take them both at price and I'll, I'll stack them because of that narrative. Let Russ cook. If that happens, holy crap. But Tyler Lockett, before going down with that injury through weeks one through nine, was on pace for 304 fantasy points, would have been the number two guy in fantasy uh, before that happened. And this was on an offense that was not let Russ cook. It was that low volume attack. So if we finally get a high volume attack, that chemistry between those two is probably the best, like, one, two, just where he puts the ball and how Lockett comes down with it. Just like, holy crap plays. I mean, that it's the best I've ever seen. I could see both these guys lighting it up. So it's not necessarily that I don't like um, um, DK. It's more so that I just like Lockett that much more. It was a trick question. You answered it. Okay. So well done. But uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's just important to remember with the Seahawks. I mean, look, it's these two guys on top. And when you look at the types of targets they get, I mean, not every target is created equal. I mean, just historically, mm-hmm. players average much more PPR points per red zone and deep ball target. And that's what these guys are living on. Both guys yeah. were top 10 in the league in these fantasy friendly targets. I mean, you know, you have your Christian Kirks of the world where they might be, you know, projected for a few more targets than these guys. But man, with that QB play under center and the nature of their routes, I am with you. Don't be afraid to target both of these guys at their mid 20s ADP. All right, in Buffalo, Josh Allen, not the world's most polished QB, but he did enable Smokey Brown to PPR wide receiver 20 heights in 2019. Stephon Diggs, seemingly a new alpha dog. Are you buying Stephon Diggs as someone to target at his, you know, pretty meh ADP? I'm still not, even though the ADP is not great right now. It's not my guy. And I love Diggs as a player, but Allen as the QB, I just don't love it. I mean, six for 50 on throws over 30 yards, uh, only three TDs with three interceptions. That's a 12% completion rate. And I know Diggs will boost that number, but I just don't buy it. In fact, I'm definitely targeting John Brown uh, well over Stephon Diggs based on their current prices here. Uh, looking at the Fantasy Pros best ball ADP, you can get John Brown for you know around 10 price, 109 overall, wide receiver 42. I think this guy gets it done and potentially even outscores digs and you don't have to burn that like fifth sixth rounder where there's still guys like you know we aforementioned Marquise Brown or Devontae Parker T.Y. Hilton A.J. Green I like any of those guys significantly above Stephon Diggs so give me John Brown the connection that's already been established feasting on number two corners all year for sure this might be like a sneaky discount version of the Detroit Lions where we like Diggs, mm. we like Brown, we like Galladay, we like Marvin, but the ADP difference between the two probably isn't warranted considering the projected targets. I mean, I, I have been kind of going through with the assumption Diggs is going to be the outright number one, but it wouldn't be shocking if, you know, that means like 120 targets and Smokey still splurts with triple digits and, you know, with his talent more than capable of smashing that ADP, as you suggested. But yeah, it comes down to whether or not Allen can take that step. And to his credit, you know, pretty awful all around as a rookie. They gave him some real weapons. He improved drastically. Now the big hole, as you mentioned, is that deep ball ability. He was 32nd deep ball yards per attempt, 32nd in catchable deep ball rate, 28th in QB rating, and 6th in deep ball rate. So even though Josh is not great at throwing the deep ball, you know, like Russell Wilson, three-pointers, continues to try to do so anyway. We'll see how much Diggs can help that uh, production. He was PFS, you know, premier deep ball wide out last year. You know, definitely want Josh Allen in these drafts. But, yes, I would say Smokey Brown is the better buy at their present ADP. All right, on the Eagles, we've been getting some Jalen Rager hype early and often in this training camp. They're apparently using them all around. But, I mean, we got some other rookies. Deshaun Jackson is healthy. Zach Ertz and Goddard are going to do their thing. Are you buying, buying Jalen Rager as a year one fantasy-relevant asset? 
I think it, speaking of the QB stacks, this might be one of my favorites. I, when you came on my pod, I was raving about Carson Wentz finally having weapons around him, finally getting those lid lifters. So this offense can operate like they did just a few seasons ago when he was on pace for MVP at like 33 touchdowns in only 13 games. The guy was a monster, and I really could see this offense getting back there. And you can stack it so cheap if you take Wentz in round nine and then you try both Jackson and, and Rager for their round, you know, 12, 13, 14 price. To me, I go Jackson first. We've already seen him get it done week one last year. He was the number two fantasy receiver with 35.4 points, had 10 cat targets, eight catches, was moving all over the place so it wasn't just like a, a deep ball and they got lucky and hooked up on those he was in the slot he was getting run after the catch abilities and they're already saying the buzz is that he's as fast as ever following his core surgery so now we know the health is at least in check for now obviously the huge risk with him but I like having both those guys because if Jackson goes down I do think Gregor could emerge as that true number one he certainly has the natural skill set he dealt with some of the worst QB play in college football that, that we've ever seen so now that he gets a, a deep ball thrower and the like of Wentz. Don't be shocked if he blows up too. I'm going Jackson first myself. Yeah, the kind of like almost hate that Wentz get. I feel like all these Dak versus Wentz just constant debates, almost like devalues whoever people don't think is the better quarterback. Mm -hmm. And they're both top 10 QBs, I think, right yeah. now, man. And, you know, like you said, 2017 MVP level. And with what? All he had stretching the field was <laughs> Torrey Smith and, you know, a solid rookie year version of Mac Hollins. 2018, Hollins is hurt. You know, they brought in Mike Wallace. He gets hurt. 2019, DJX balls the hell out in week one, as you mentioned. You know, Hollins doesn't do anything. They just didn't have anyone to stretch the field. So yeah. just having Rieger, having, you know, Quez Watkins, Ferguson, these rookies, and a healthy Djax, I think it's to open up the open up the entire offense. I mean, honestly, I've dropped Zach Ertz out of the big three tight ends. I think Andrews deserves to be there. But, you know, more and more looking at it, like he's probably going to lead the way in targets. And just with those extra lid lifters, you know, we can see that efficiency boom. So, yeah, I'm with you. One, the cheaper, uh, you know, viable stacks out there with those wide receivers. And, you know, don't be afraid to just take a shot on Ertz and Goddard because there is talent, proven production there. And this just in general is an offense to buy. All right, yes. last one, man. Tampa Bay, the most expensive, I think, offense just in the league pretty much, at least in terms of QB and top two wide receivers. It's going to cost a pretty pain to get either Goblin or Mike Evans. Are you buying or selling Tom Brady being able to enable two wide receiver ones as Jameis did last season? Uh, you know me. I'm certainly a Tom Brady truther from my New England heritage. I think the guy all reports are he's still slinging the rock. All the players are just shocked at how much velocity is still on his throws. Now, he's not going to be slinging quite like Jameis Winston. Nobody in football ever will sling quite like Jameis Winston. Brady's not going to take those risks. He's not going to give quite as many one-on-one -on -one jump ball opportunities. But it doesn't mean Brady can't do that when he's had talent like Evans. I mean, the only comparable, in my opinion, and I'm just very high on on Evans as a player, but Randy Moss in terms of the size, the speed, the ability to go up over people. So everyone's assuming it's only Godwin, the slot, the bigger Julian Edelman. I love that narrative. I totally buy Chris Godwin. I think Mike Evans is getting kind of thrown under the rug as an easy fade for analysts. And I just think this guy has great talent. Him and Brady have forging that chemistry since Brady moved down there. And, and so far in training camp, a lot of reports saying every day there's a wow play between Evans and Brady. So I am buying it. I know I have the bias of a Brady homer a Brady truther and I just want it to happen because I still root for the guy even though he's gone uh, but ultimately I do buy it I think Godwin and Evans can both be sustained maybe not quite as heartily as Jameis did but with less turnover turnovers it's just gonna be shootout central in that division too it's gonna be back and forth games every single week so so I do buy the narrative what about you 
it's one of these things where, you know, um, we got to every single year with these aging veteran quarterbacks, just be very quick to jump out. You know, we saw it happen with Peyton Manning where mm. he went from being 50 touchdown guy to the next season, looking like that guy for the first half, all of a sudden second half of 2014, it's like, where does this arm strength go? And then 2015 starts and it was like, Oh wow. He's just now a trash quarterback. That did not happen to Brady last season. Now he did have his worst statistical year since probably 2006, just right before he had that absolute monster blow up. But he was still, you know, one of 14 QBs with a PFF deep ball rating of at least 100. I think it was more of a situation where his guys were all banged up around him. I guess my hesitation is more just will the volume be there? We got Bruce Arians no longer saying no risk it, no biscuit. He is apparently, you know, happy to not go broke, taking a profit, which is unfortunate, but makes sense when you have some like tb12 i just think this offense would be a little more ball control than the kind of opening up uh that we think they could be while i'm not buying they could be two wide receiver ones i do think you're going to get top 24 value out of both so you know i'm not going out of my way to target these guys but i also don't think if you know you have evans or goblin on your team this year you're going to be bemoaning that fact uh when things are all said and done all right last one i know i said before truly the last uh top 10 team we are breaking down and that is the new orleans saints drew Brees was excellent last season and I mean this really shocked me but if you take away the Rams game where he hurt his thumb early and just average the rest of his fantasy points per game only Lamar Jackson was the higher fantasy scorer so they were doing big things we know Michael Thomas is the one we know Alvin Kamara is the two now new wide receiver there I'm a little lower on him than most but maybe I shouldn't be are you buying Emmanuel Sanders as a fantasy viable baller in 2020? I, I think I am at the price. I mean, you can get him right around the wide receiver 40 range, and he's just such a great real-life fit. Now, who knows how much volume we're going to be sustained there, but I love Nick Underhill, one of my favorite beat writers, and he talked about how the Saints never really go out and pay up for wide receivers unless it was the perfect type of compliment, and he is. I mean, he works the middle of the field as good as any. He still has the deep speed to, to get over the top when needed for those shots. He's everything they kind of wish Traquan had been and, and hasn't developed to, so I think Sanders is a baller. I think within this offense, it's a matter of are you betting on that, that pace we saw from Breeze? highlight. I love that stat. I didn't even know it was that insane. But man, the guy threw so many touchdowns without even playing, you know, missing those five games that I think they are, they, they really can sustain this. Now, what does that mean for Jared Cook, who was second behind McCole Hardman in your playmaker rating there, <laughs> which is great. The guy gets down the seam so well. He's amazing in the red zone too. So it's either you buy that Breeze is going to have a monster year and throw like 40 touchdowns. Or it's more of that ball control kind of just pounded offense that we've seen the last couple. To me, I'm leaning more towards that that former, the, the more explosive attack, just because they got that same narrative with Brady. I, I don't see how these defenses are going to keep them in you know, situations that it is pounded out. I think it's going to be pure shootouts all day in those divisions, which is especially with the lack of time to get the defenses, no crowd noise to like fire them up. I think that really is going to end up favoring offenses this year. And I think that's just going to be a points bonanza week in and week out. And I think Sanders can totally be a big part of that. So I love him at his cost right now. Good point about the crowd noise. Some of these teams with the more extreme home and away splits, such as the Saints yeah. Steelers, could just be balling out more than ever. You give those guys freedom and do whatever the hell they want at the line of scrimmage. It, it will be interesting to see how much they pump in there, but topic for another day. Yeah, I've come <laughs> around a little more to Sanders. Like originally, I wanted, you know, Giants or Texans receivers in that range. And I, I, I still probably do more a little bit than Sanders because they're. 
best outcome is as a number one. He's yeah. not going to be there. But Sanders is one of those guys where, you know, you're going to have him in the fantasy lineup at some point, and you're going to feel good about it because he is any given week could, you know, rise up and be the guy for that week in one of the league's top five offenses. I mean, we know there's going to be touchdowns to go around other than Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I mean, I know Thomas, he was, you know, flirting with 200 targets last year, but it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if that dips back down to the 150, 160 range. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just hard to have that many targets again. So if that happens, all of a sudden we could uh, feasibly see that number three option rise up. So, you know, while the ceiling might not be quite as high, again, he's going in that range where, okay, if you got some wide receivers early, maybe you don't need to take the shot on the big boomer bus guy. You're happier to have Emmanuel Sanders at that point in the draft. So those were our top 10 QBs and, you know, best stacking partners. Hope you all enjoyed that. And then before we get out of here, want to quickly touch on two more teams, our late round favorite targets and stacks, you know, especially for those in two QB leagues, probably not gonna be able to get two of these top 10 guys. Nick, what team and, you know, quarterback and encompassing wide receivers are you looking to get in the later rounds? To me, it's got to be the Panthers. I keep pounding this division, so we might as well just keep that narrative going. There's an awesome article on Establish the Run about stacking in season long, like we've been talking about, and how every you know year there's around four or so quarterbacks that outperform their ADP by 100. And if you pick that right guy and then also the pieces around him, it gives you an enormous win rate in best ball and all these everything. So I highly recommend checking out that article if you want to consider this strategy, and you should definitely be considering the stack strategy and to me who looks best to outperform their ADP by over 100 points I love it to be the Panthers I love this Joe Brady narrative coming from LSU having coached at the Saints where he was tasked to bring up Teddy Bridgewater he goes and gets his guy who yeah I get Bridgewater is not the most exciting QB but he's just going to be asked to get it out quick that's what this offense operates on splitting the field spreading it getting speed into space is what Brady calls it and they've got the premier set of playmakers for speed and space DJ Moore, incredible after the catch. You don't need me to talk about Christian McCaffrey, but also Curtis Samuel. And I know you're all about that. Yeah, buddy. You know, he's been so misused for so long. Uh, He's got the deep speed. And I think Bridgewater has an underrated arm that we just haven't seen him take those shots too much. But more so, Samuel can be a running back-esque when he has that ball in his hands and space. So I think he's going to be the guy I really love to stack with Bridgewater, especially if I get DJ Moore. I'm not afraid to double stack, triple stack this offense. If I get McCaffrey earlier, that's one of those QBs that really ends up working out with the running back stack because McCaffrey's going to catch five, six touchdowns himself. So I love, especially if I start with McCaffrey, targeting Bridgewater earlier and then also getting Samuel for a triple stack there. What about you? Any uh, late round breakouts that you love? Yeah, man, I think the Panthers call is a good one. The defense is just going to be so bad, at least for 2020. You know, the lack of overall continuity in the passing game is a little worrisome just from an efficiency standpoint. But, you know, when you just consider the fact that they're going to have to be passing from behind all the time, yes, I'm with you. I have Teddy as my go-to second late round QB. And that's just, I had to move up Gardner Minshew and the Jacksonville Jaguars ahead of him. And, you know, do not draft Leonard Fournette, please. Even if there's a fire, do not do it. I just, (laughs) just... Oh, man, we, we can get going on that. But we'll talk about the guys you should draft uh, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that is Gardner Minshew, you know, the league's number five rushing quarterback from last season. I mean, if you're just looking for a YOLO ball, you know, fancy-friendly gunslinger that could, you know, give you what Ryan Fitzpatrick was giving guys last season, I think it's just Gardner Minshew. And this is a guy that is not bad by any stretch. I mean, you look at his rookie season from an efficiency standpoint, he's a top 12 quarterback we've really seen among rookies over the past 10 years and adjusted yards per attempt. So I'm not saying he's going to be 
a top 12 quarterback this year, but similar to Teddy and the Panthers, he's going to have every opportunity to do so because this is a bad mm. team. But just because they're a bad team doesn't mean it's going to produce fat, bad uh, fancy assets like we saw in the Miami Dolphins team. So I think like Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker, Minshew and DJ Chark are just going under the radar as this, you know, duo that is going already has demonstrated chemistry in this case. And Chark is one of the cheapest wide receiver ones available. Uh, you know, there's not as many stacking partners as, uh, you know, you brought up with the Carolina Panthers. I'm not quite buying the Tyler Eifert resurgence, even though Josh Oliver is now hurt. I do think LaVisca Chenault could be a sneaky yes. option. You know, D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley probably starting on three wide receiver sets. But again, when it's so cheap to get this guy who has, you know, some elite looking yards after the catch ability, maybe even getting some running back carries, who knows? He'll rise up my list of favorite players in that case. But do you think there is, you know, untapped upside in the backdraft from the Jaguars and to your point, the Panthers as well. So if you guys, you know, out there, come away, you know, if you're getting those late rounds of the draft and you still only have one quarterback you're not feeling good about, do not be afraid to go after Minshew, Teddy, and their band of undervalued receivers. Nick, man. Absolutely. I, I mean, and just to toss on your point too, Minshew also has a little bit of sneaky Konami code upside. I think he was what, like fifth or so, and, and maybe even third in rushing yards per game and fifth in total rushing yards. That's right. So you got that plus the Jay Gruden offense, which has made, you know, some great passing volume for guys like Kirk Cousins. Andy Dalton was like a top 12 quarterback in all of his seasons under Gruden, except his rookie year. So there, there is definitely some very real upside to Minshew. I love that call. That's good to do it for us, man. Thank you again for coming on, Nick. Tell the people what you got coming up and where they can find you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This is a blast. Always talking ball with you, Harditz. Uh, you can find me at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter. Our site's rotostreetjournal.com, where we breed and feed fantasy wolves and the podcast, the Fantasy Pullback Dive, where we're paving your path to titles in 2020. Make sure to check that out as well. Thanks so much for, for having me on again, man. This was a pleasure. For sure, dude. It was a good time talking ball with you. And that's at Roto Street Wolf for Nick on Twitter. Make sure you shoot him a follow. I'm Ian Hardis. Thank you all for listening to PFF Fantasy Podcast. And until next time, take care, everyone.